0: Hello and welcome to another CWJ Employment Law Podcast, where this time around we'll be talking through the controversial practice of fire and rehire. Um, So to navigate our way through this challenging topic, I'm joined today by Seppi Noruzi, who is a solicitor within our employment department. So let's dive straight in. Um, Seppi, what is the practice of fire and rehire?
1: So, fire and rehire, also known as dismissal and re-engagement, is not a new concept. This practice occurs when employers dismiss employees and offer to re-engage them on often less favourable terms, for example, less company sick pay entitlement, reducing their salary or removing contractual overtime provisions. It is legally allowed in the UK, but it's highly controversial and does carry a risk of expensive claims and wider commercial repercussions, such as damage. To reputation or employee relations, if it's not managed properly. It should only be used as a last resort when an employer needs to make contractual changes to an employee's terms and conditions. This should always be approached through consultation and agreement with the employee involved first. However, in exceptional circumstances where there's a genuine and pressing business need, an agreement. can't be reached, employees can sometimes be justified in unilaterally changing employees' terms and conditions by terminating their contracts and rehiring them on new terms and conditions.
0: I think that many of us will be surprised that this practice, you know, obviously given certain exceptional conditions, but this practice can actually be lawful. Um, having said that, there has been a fairly recent high-profile case where I think most people will recognise this case. Um, P&O Ferries adopted this very practice. Um, Sebi, can you give us an overview of what happened back in March this year?
1: Yes. So um, this topic has recently come to the forefront following the mass redundancies of approximately 800 employees by P&O Ferries earlier this year, where there was no notice or prior consultation with employees. These employees were replaced by far cheaper agency workers who allegedly um, were paid pound eighty per hour um, with much condemnation from politicians, trade unions and the public alike despite the majority entering into settlement agreements which appear to provide a settlement sum larger than what they would have achieved at an employment tribunal. Details of all such settlements are confidential though. The affected employees were told via video recording that they were to be dismissed with immediate effect to secure the financial survival of the company. P&O is one of the UK's largest ferry operators and had been significantly hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, recording losses at that point of around 100 million year on year. In the announcement sent to employees, the company described its decision to restructure as a last resort, taken in an attempt to save the unsustainable business. The company also informed a parliamentary inquiry that PO Ferries had no future. Yet, in August 2022, the owner, DP World, confirmed that they had increased their first half profits by more than 50%. The actions taken by PO have created a number of potential legal issues and something we consider in more detail shortly.
0: So you mentioned settlement agreements. Um, Just at this point, I think it's worth noticing that we have recorded a podcast on this very subject, which, if anyone is interested, can be found on our website. But anyway, um, back to the topic. So often when businesses experience severe financial difficulties, they look to reduce their staff costs, these costs which are often the highest overheads. Um, Most organisations in this position with the obvious exception of PO and o Ferries, um, consider redundancy as a legitimate method of reducing costs and protecting the ongoing operation of the business. So, Seppi, can you give us the legal framework around redundancies, especially collective redundancies, where a significant number of employees are to be considered?
1: Yes, so where employers are planning to make 20 or more staff redundant at a single establishment within 90 days, they must first consult on the proposal with employees and their representatives, as well as notify the UK Government Department, which is responsible for business, industrial, strategy, science, innovation, energy and climate change, by way of completing what's known as a HR1 form. The consultation process must include meaningful consultation with a view to reaching agreement on proposals to, one, avoid the redundancies, two, reduce the numbers at risk, and three, mitigate the effect of the dismissals on affected um, employees. This must begin no less than 30 days before the first dismissal for 20 to 99 proposed redundancies, and 45 days before the first dismissal for 100 or more proposed redundancies. Failure to consult collectively may result in a protective award of up to 90 days' uncapped gross pay for each affected employee, as well as possible unfair dismissal claims for those with two years' service or more. Failing to notify the authorities can also result in prosecution for companies and company officers such as directors. The decision by PO to dispense with any consultation was controversial and has been heavily criticised, causing the brand's reputation to plummet. A key point is that in any redundancy situation, transparent communication is key. Employees who are blindsided by the news of their dismissal are less likely to engage with any settlement package or potential next steps, resulting in more pushback meetings time and potentially claims. Good employment practice involves engaging with employees from the earliest possible stage and openly discussing their options even if the end result remains the same. Um, however the insolvency service confirmed in August this year that there will be no criminal action against p ferries in respect of those redundancies, because the criminal investigation has concluded that there's no realistic prospect of a conviction. However, the civil investigation is still ongoing.
0: So although in exceptional circumstances, fire and rehire is a legitimate tactic within the legislative framework, um, this practice has caused a lot of debate with many employees, politicians and social commentators in deep opposition of it. Zepi, can you talk us through some of the commentary that has arisen from this practice being adopted by UK businesses?
1: So although p did not seek to fire and rehire, in that it didn't offer employment to the dismissed employees, but rather encouraged those employees to apply for agency jobs instead, its actions have restarted the debate on the use of such tactics in the workplace. At present, the law only permits an employer to fire and rehire where the employer has some other substantial reason as one of the five fair reasons for dismissal for doing so and acted reasonably in all the circumstances. If not, there could be a potential unfair dismissal finding. The arguments in favour of fire and rehire are to minimise redundancies, to harmonise employees terms and conditions and to introduce temporary or permanent flexibility into contracts in terms of working hours, shift patterns, payments and security of hours. The Labour Party have however criticised this as being too weak and some commentators have argued that fire and rehire should be stopped altogether. A recent defeated private members bill implied that all dismissals should be automatically unfair so no length of service, or rather minimum length of service is required, and it would be a day one right if the purpose of the dismissal is to reemploy employees on less favourable terms. The burden of proof would be on the employer to show the reason for dismissal and to make interim re- relief available pending a full hearing on the merits, which currently applies to cases involving issues such as whistleblowing. This would effectively mean that employees' um, employment would still be kept alive for the purposes of their pay until the final hearing. Um, Another suggestion is that dismissals would be unfair where the employer dismisses and re-engages on less favourable terms. So employees would be reinstated on their old terms but this would mean that employers would be unable to compel reduced terms in response to business or economic issues and therefore this will result in redundancies anyway. A third suggestion is to make redundancy and some other substantial reason dismissals unfair where the employer had reasonable economic alternatives which would have avoided dismissals and these were not utilised. And lastly the final suggestion is to strengthen the tribunal's requirement to scrutinise the business reasons and rationale advanced by employers for these types of dismissals and have the capacity or expertise to do so. In any event, if an employer does not go through a reasonable and fair process or does not have a sound business rationale, there remains a significant risk of a claim. There have also been calls to reform the obligations for collective consultation so that this applies to workers as well as employees And the threshold of 20 or 100 employees is reduced for triggering the 30 or 45 days consultation period. And lastly, legislation um, to confirm that no notice of dismissal can be given until the consultation process is completed.
0: There has been and there was some talk about the government developing a statutory code of practice on the use of fire and rehire practices. Um, What progress was made with developing
1: this code? In March 2022, the government announced that a new statutory code of practice will be published on the use of fire and rehire practices. This code would detail the processes that the government requires companies to follow, For example, employers will be required to hold fair, transparent and meaningful consultations on proposed changes to employment terms. Tribunals and the courts will have the power to apply an uplift of up to 25% of an employee's compensation where the code applies and the employer unreasonably fails to follow it. The statutory cap for compensatory awards of one year's gross salary or or £93,000, whichever is lower, for ordinary unfair dismissal claims will also be potentially disapplied. Employers should therefore bear in mind that where business needs genuinely require a drastic change to employee terms and conditions, unless consultation is not possible and the changes are critical, courts and unions are likely in the future to look even less favourably on such controversial tactics.
0: So in light of what you've told us, um, how would you summarise the practice of fire and rehire? So in summary,
1: this fire and rehire is a controversial subject and although some believe that it should be illegal, others consider that it does strike the right balance for employees and employers alike. Otherwise, it could result in employees having a right of veto um, for any business changes, even where other employees or the majority of employees and trade unions agree to the change. Most accept that in many circumstances fire and rehire is unavoidable especially following the pandemic and now the recent war in Ukraine which has affected the UK economy and the cost of living issues that have arisen. Without this employers would need to dismiss and not re-engage or potentially retain terms of employment that are detrimental to business. It is still open to employees who are dismissed to bring claims of unfair dismissal where employees have not been reasonable or proportionate or followed a fair process. This still retains flexibility that's required to ensure that employers can adapt to changing external circumstances. One other suggestion is for the law to be changed so that there would be an injunction to stop dismissals taking place when an employer failed to serve any notice or consult with effective employees but this would require legislation. Hopefully a new code of practice will Provide guidance as to when fire and rehire is reasonable in the circumstances. But tribunals should be equipped with sufficient resource and knowledge to enforce such rights, and there should be penalties or fines for failure to complete the HR1 forms.
0: Okay, thanks. Let's leave it there for today. On behalf of myself and SEPI, we hope you found this podcast helpful and it gives you some idea of the issues surrounding fire and rehire. With All of our podcasts, we aim to give general information on important topics facing UK businesses. Um, It's important to say that where complex issues do arise, we would always suggest seeking specialist legal advice. If you haven't done so already, you can listen to our other podcasts by heading over to our website, where we discuss numerous topics, including subjects such as managing mental health, performance and capabilities, social media, amongst many others. So, Until the next time, thanks for listening.